want to talk to you today about something that God has put in my spirit. And I want to start by talking about something that's been on all of our minds the last couple of weeks. They were 19 and 26. Handsome, skilled, personable, and popular. The 19-year-old's name was Zokar. The 26-year-old's name was Tamerlan. Most of you now know who it is that I'm talking about. The two young men who ruined their lives by setting off a bomb during the Boston Marathon about two and a half weeks ago. It's been discovered that these two Boston bombers were radical Islamists who were practicing jihad, at least their version of jihad, on American soil. When we look at the story, we ask ourselves, how and why would two young men with their life ahead of them, lots of friends, popular one was married with a child, why would they give up the remainder of their life to for this cause, this crazy twisted cause and the question's been asked on the internet, news sources, the big question on everybody's mind, how did this happen? How were they radicalized? What caused this radical bent to be activated? And uh, the answer is, is that they were self-radicalized using the internet, at least that's what they can tell right now. That on the internet they listened to and watched these people whose message of jihad and violence in the name of Allah promoted this and pushed them to the point where they would twist this religion and become radicalized to the point that they would sacrifice their lives for this cause. How did it happen and why did it happen? We see this, this is not just a random incident, but oftentimes overseas, we've heard the reports and seen the stories of those that would walk into a common place with a bomb strapped to themselves and blow up their own body, taking other innocent lives with them in the name of this radical religion. I want to tell you today that radical Islam and radical secularism is loose in the world today. And there is a need for there to be a brand of radical Christianity, people who are committed and forceful and faithful. Amen? Acts chapter 1 verse 8 said the Holy Ghost would uh, would activate this kind of thing. It says, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. When God gave you the Holy Ghost, he didn't give you the Holy Ghost just so you could have access to heaven, but he gave you the Holy Ghost so that it would activate in you a radical form of Christianity that would change your world and change our world. There is a, a vast difference between the radical form of extreme Islam and radical Christianity. Because if I say the phrase radical Christianity, what do I mean when I say 
radical Christianity. If you take it at its root meaning, it means somebody who is going out of their way to be extremely Christ-like. The more like Jesus you get, the more extreme and radical you are as a Christian. So you can afford to get radical. Amen? You can afford to get extreme. It's not going to cause you to be mean to somebody. It's not going to cause you to be harsh or judgmental to somebody. It's going to cause you to love somebody that nobody else loves. Come on now. It's, it's going to cause you to transform your mindset. So as we heard a few weeks ago, that we will bless those that curse us and We'll turn the other cheek, and we'll love our enemy, and we'll love those that are unlovable. Amen. It's God's will that the Holy Spirit unleash radical, extreme Christ-likeness in you and in me. And when we become radical in our Christianity, we will become obsessed with what Jesus told us to do called the Great Commission to go into all the world, to preach the gospel to every creature, to baptize them, to teach them to obey the teachings of Jesus, to make other followers of Jesus Christ. And when we become radicalized, it's going to make us be sincere and passionate and focused on the commission of Jesus Christ and on our purpose. I can see this is going over like a lead balloon, but this is the truth, and I'm going to push on this a little bit. Because you got a flesh problem, and I got a flesh problem. And that is, I'm sorry, I'm just going to be a little confrontational today because sometimes that's what preaching has to be. The Bible says that we are to exhort, rebuke, exhort, exhort, rebuke. What's the other one? What is it? Amen. With all long suffering. Amen. So the Word of God needs to get in our business sometimes. Amen. Because we get comfortable and our flesh takes over. And before we realize it, we are carnally minded. This world has influenced the way that we think. And we want to just be patted on the back. But the Word of God, when I read it, challenges me. Amen. To be more like Jesus and to let His Spirit transform my life. I want to talk a little bit about what has happened in the church world today. In modern Christianity, it has taken the radical edge off of following and serving Jesus Christ. What happens nowadays, just so you know where we are, is there is this passion to sell Jesus Christ and to sell Christianity. I don't want to ask for a show of hands, but I'm sure many of you have been up later than you should and were watching the television later than you should and you happen to see those late night television salespeople. You know who I'm talking about. The ones who said, would you like to have more money? How would you like to only fly first class? Aren't you interested in retiring early? How would you like to never have to worry about finances again? And you got to ask yourself, does this sound like something that you might be interested in? And by the way, if you're interested in this, we'll send it to you. No cost up front. Uh, uh, no, uh, no shipping costs. It's all coming to you and you're thinking, how in the world could I say no to this? It costs you nothing and it offers you everything. Amen. And I wonder 
if some well-intentioned preachers may have missed their calling as a late-night infomercial salesman because we're so good at painting the picture of all the benefits uh, of being a Christian, but we never talk about what it means uh, to follow Jesus Christ. In case when you heard the gospel message it was left out or somebody forgot to mention it when they explained what it means to be a Christian, let me make it clear to you right now. There is no forgiveness without repentance. There is no salvation without surrender. And there is no life without death to the old man. And there is no believing without committing. When Jesus was on the earth, there were a lot of people that followed him around. They were Jesus fans. You, you can read the story when he was, went different places and was teaching. The Bible said there would be a multitude of people. Remember one time there was 5,000 men plus women and children that came because he was a great speaker. He was captivating. And this was before television and movies and uh, entertainment options. They came to watch Jesus because it was awesome to hear what Jesus had to say. So they were listening to and they were around Jesus and there were multitudes that were following him. But you will notice if you read your Bible carefully that he was cool with the multitudes coming and checking them, him out. But there was a certain point when he would say, okay, let's define what this relationship is. Are you really going to follow me? And he would make some very hard statements uh, that caused people to assess whether they were truly ready to follow Jesus. And I'm sure his disciples were kind of frustrated maybe with Jesus when he came out with these hard sayings. They're like, look, we've got this great crowd. Everybody's interested. I mean, there is a lot of buzz about you, Jesus. And why would you come out and say something like this right now? And everybody starts picking up their stuff and walking out because uh, they want to be a part and they want to see and they're a fan of what's happening. They admire what's taking place, uh, but they're not sure whether they want to take the step of faith uh, to be a follower of Jesus Christ. So I'm asking you today, are you just a fan of Jesus or are you a follower of Jesus Christ? See, this is an important question. This may be the most important question you are ever asked. And the reason is most people who are fans of Jesus Christ think that they are followers of Jesus Christ. In their mind, in their spirit, they believe that they're a follower of Jesus Christ. Yes, I'm a follower of Jesus but I'm not sure we really understand what we are saying when we say that we are a follower of Jesus Christ. I do not think that means what we think it means. You know, there's a passage of Scripture in Matthew chapter number 7 that whenever I read it, it kind of scares me a little bit because it says that there's going to be a day when many who consider themselves to be followers of Jesus will be stunned to discover that he does not even recognize them. Matthew chapter 7, Jesus tells of a day when everyone who has ever lived will stand before God. And on that day, many who call themselves Christians and identify themselves as followers of Jesus will stand confidently in front of Jesus only to hear him say, I never knew you away from me. I mean, does that not scare you a little bit? Am I the only one that says, oh, oh my goodness, 
These are people who said, you know, we cast out evil spirits in your name. We healed the sick in your name. We worked for you and did all of these things for you. And Jesus says, depart from me. I never knew you. I don't want to assume that I'm a follower of Jesus Christ and Jesus doesn't even know me. I don't want to assume that I'm right with God and Jesus doesn't know who I am. Many assume that they are followers of Jesus, but the truth is they have never heard the unedited version of what Jesus taught about what it means to follow him. They're not followers, they're just fans. They like Jesus, they're interested in Jesus, they are admirers of Jesus, but they've never taken that step to become a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, what's the difference between a fan and a follower of Jesus Christ? You want to, we'll talk about that for a minute right now because there's a big difference between somebody who is a fan of Jesus and somebody who is a follower of Jesus. The word fan in the dictionary simply means an enthusiastic admirer. Somebody who passionately admires something or someone. What does a fan do? A fan sits in the stands and cheers for his team, but he's never in the game. A fan is one that likes the team, but they've never been in the game. And as excited as a fan may appear, what I've discovered is that if the team he is cheering for starts to let him down and has a few bad seasons, can I say L.A. Lakers? Ouch. A few bad seasons. Well, what happens to some of these fans? Their passion begins to wane pretty quickly. After several losing seasons, you can expect him to jump off the fan wagon and begin cheering for some other team. He is just an enthusiastic admirer. And Jesus has a lot of fans nowadays. People who cheer for him when things are going well. But they walk away during a difficult season. Amen? Fans who sit safely in the stands cheering. But they know nothing of the sacrifice and the pain of being on the field. Jesus, who know, Jesus, uh, fans of Jesus knew all about him. But they don't know him. There's a difference, amen, between knowing about Jesus and knowing him. And uh, I, I just want to make it plain to you, Jesus isn't looking for fans. He doesn't need fans. He's not interested in fans. Being a fan of Jesus is not an option. He is looking for people who say, Jesus, I found what I'm looking for. I'm dropping everything, and I'm going to follow you with all of my heart, mind, and soul, and strength. You know what the biggest threat to the church is today? The biggest threat to the church today is fans who call themselves Christians but aren't actually interested in following Jesus. They want to be close enough to Jesus to get all the benefits, but not so close that it requires anything out of them. Amen? I want what Jesus has for me, but I don't want him messing with my life. I want what Jesus can benefit me with, but I don't want him messing with my schedule. I don't want him messing with my priorities. And I don't want him messing with my 
values. Amen. Amen. This is the biggest threat. And you may say that you're a follower, but what makes you so sure? A lot of times people, and, and we're all guilty. Please understand, I'm not up here just hurling things. This is something that God's put in my spirit. It's time for Life Church to have revival. It's time for us to have a move of God. It's time for us to be serious about what God's called us to do and who God's called us to be. It's not time to play church. Amen. Amen. It's not time to be Jesus fans. It's time for us to recognize God's called us to be followers. But oftentimes, what do we do? And the Bible tells us not to do this, but we do this. We compare ourselves among ourselves. And, well, obviously I'm a follower of Jesus. Look at my life compared to this person over here. And you know what we usually do? We, we usually, when we do that comparison, we usually select somebody who has pathetic spirituality or somebody who's not even a believer. We're like, look at them. They don't ever go to church. I come to church two times a month. Look at me. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. We compare ourselves with some miserable example. Can, can we be honest here? What, what if? Well, I'm a good husband. I'm a good husband to my wife. At least I don't do what that dude does. I'm better than him. Look at him. He beats up on his wife. Oh, yeah, that makes you a great husband because you don't beat up on your wife. You're not supposed to beat up on your wife, all right? Well, look at this guy. We compare, and, and the moment we start our comparing ourselves with, with someone else to say that I'm doing right is an indictment against us because we wouldn't be comparing ourselves if we knew that we were right in our heart of hearts. And when we compare our spirituality and Christianity and our faithfulness to God with someone else who maybe is not a believer, who's somebody who's half backslidden, and say, I must be all right because I'm better than them, we're not doing ourselves a service. We're doing ourselves a disservice. Amen. And it's time for us to recognize there's only one example or one comparison. If I'm going to be a follower of Jesus Christ, I've got to compare myself to him. He's the one that is the example. He's the one that I've got to follow. He's the one that I compare myself with and when I do that I realize that I've fallen short Amen. and fans often confuse admiration for devotion and they mistake their knowledge of Jesus Christ for intimacy with Jesus Christ fans assume their good intentions will make up for the fact that their faith is apathetic and here's the thing that you need to hear right now fans almost always think that they are followers. Well, I know scriptures. I even have a fish uh, sticker on my car. I, I even have a shirt and one of those bracelets that says WWJD. Obviously, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. Jesus welcomed people who were curious about him and wanting to find out more about him, but the time would come when he wants to you to take that next step of faith. He draws a line in the sand and wants to know where these people stand. He wants to know where we stand. And ultimately what concerned Jesus the most was not the size of the crowd, but was the level of commitment. And the Lord Jesus Christ is looking down at Life Church and says, I want to give revival to this church. It doesn't matter whether they have 500 people or seven people. Amen? The amount of people, the amount of resources is not what matters. But is there a level of commitment and passion in the hearts of these people to live for God and to be passionate about Jesus Christ? Amen. Luke chapter 14, verse 25. This is one of the hard sayings that I was telling you about. 
there went great multitudes with him. And he turned and said unto them, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Look at how the, this passage starts. There was a great multitude. He turned to this huge crowd and said, oh, by the way, if any of you are going to come after me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters in his own life, he cannot be my disciples. Notice that Jesus started out with the phrase, if anyone wants to follow me. This was not a statement that was just for his disciples or pastors or ministers. But if anyone wants to follow Jesus, this has to be the characteristic or the defining nature of their commitment to God. Amen. Is anybody troubled by that statement just a little bit? If any man wants to follow me and hates not his father, mother, wife, sisters, brothers, children, his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Hey, man, you're going you're gonna to have to you're gonna travel far and wide to hear somebody preaching what I'm preaching right now. But this is the Bible. Did you know this is the Bible? This is the Word of God. What does it mean? Does, do, we have to hate, do I have to hate my mama to be a believer? Do I have to hate my, my family? Obviously, hating your family would contradict the other teachings of Jesus. So he's not telling us to hate our families. But why such strong language from Jesus? When he's talking to a group of fans and he's saying, I'm getting ready to divide you between fans and followers. Because the fans are going to flee when their going gets tough, but the followers are going to follow me to the cross. And I want to know who's going to be a follower. He uses this strong language. One reason is because in that culture, if you were to become a follower of Jesus without your family's blessings, it would be considered or thought of that you're hating your family. Some of you have been there before. You know what I'm talking about. Why are you going to that church? Don't you love mom and dad the way we brought you up? Why are you following that belief? Come on, somebody. You've been there before. The Bible says you'll be hated of all men for my name's sake. There's some of you that are raised in Christian families, but others of you, when you were introduced to Jesus Christ, you had to make a decision between making your dad happy and following Jesus. That's when it gets real right there. Amen? That's when you have to have that kind of... And there are people that say, as soon as my dad dies, I'll get baptized. Or as soon as this happens, then I'll take that step of faith before Jesus Christ, uh, to step towards Jesus Christ. And the reality is, don't waste your time. Amen? Because if you're not willing to be hated of all men for the, name of, the sake of the name of Jesus Christ then you're not going to be a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm talking to some people here today who you need your cage rattled, me included, because serving God and living for God has been misrepresented to us just a little bit and caused us to be weak-kneed, lily-livered, soft-serve, easily intimidated followers of Jesus Christ and you got these people that are willing to sacrifice their life for what they believe and we're just kind of half-hearted going through the motions and if it works into my schedule and if I feel like it. What kind of a follower of Jesus Christ am I if that's my attitude and how is Jesus going to use somebody like that to change the world? I'm saying Jesus, put it in my heart, ignite my passion and let me become a true follower. A true follower 
of Jesus Christ. See, fans aren't willing to follow Jesus if it means disappointing their family. And when their relationship with Jesus starts to affect or hurt their relationships with others, well, that's just asking too much. That's just unreasonable. See, there's some of you that when you came to Jesus, your boyfriend or your girlfriend broke up with you. Some of you, when you made a decision to follow the Lord, heard your friends laughing behind your back about finding religion and taking a step of faith. Amen. That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about uh, such a radical transformation of your life uh, that people ridicule you and make fun of you and say negative things about you because of your commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't let it sway you. Anticipate it. It's a sign, amen, that you're actually following the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And also when he said, if any man will follow me and hate not his father, mother, sister, brother, what, what does it mean? Okay, obviously the meaning that I just mentioned. But secondly, secondly, Jesus isn't just saying, I want to be first place in your life. But Jesus is actually saying, I don't even want there to be a second place in your life. I want to be the one and only. And when we compare our relationship with him to our relationship with anyone else, there should be no competition. It should be an absolute wipeout. Amen. There should be no competition. Fans will try and make Jesus one of many. Some fans may even make Jesus the first of many. But when Jesus defines his relationship, he makes it clear. He wants to be the one and only in your life. The one and only. And I see people that think they're following Jesus. And, they're, and they let their hobbies get in front of serving God. And they let their job get in front of serving God. And they let relationships get in front of serving God. And, and I don't stand here to condemn. I'm trying to wake you up. Because you're not really a follower, you're just a fan. Jesus is looking for followers. It's followers that's going to turn the world upside down. Followers of Jesus Christ. Now, when, when you see this language and when you say, well, Jesus is the one and only, you may think, well, why the jealousy, Jesus? This seems kind of petty. Why are you so focused on this kind of thinking? I, I want you to think about this in return. Uh, how many's ever had a sweetheart? Brother, only one person, Brother Chris, has had a sweetheart. Nobody else had a sweetheart. I've had one. My wife didn't even raise her hand, did she? All right. So he, I, I, want, I want to illustrate this point to you right now. You got your sweetheart. You fell in love with her or him. And you know, this is the one I want to spend my life with. And so the man gets down on one knee and he says, I love you. I want you to know that I want to commit the rest of my life to you. I want you to marry me and make me the happiest man in the world. Let's define this relationship. Let's go to the next level. I'm committed to you. And what if you got this response? As you're down on one knee, the response is, all right, I too love you. 
I am willing to commit to you for the rest of my life. Let's take this to the next level. But I have just one condition. I still want to be able to see other people. What's that going to do to you? You're going to be like, uh, you know, I don't think you understood what I was saying. I want you to be my one and only. Oh, that's great. I want to take it to the next level too. I'm crazy about you. But I still want to be able to see other people. And this is essentially what we're talking about. What a fan says to Jesus. A fan says, I love you and I'm committed to you. But let's not be exclusive. Don't get too grabby in my life. Don't expect so much out of me. Amen. Mm, how about this? You got your girlfriend, you got your sweetheart, you're committed to them. This is one I love. And so you, you flip open your wallet, your billfold, and there's her picture right in the billfold. First picture, it's right at the front. But then behind it are like pictures of all your other ex-girlfriends, one after another. I mean, I don't know how your sweetheart is, but I don't think my sweetheart would go for that. I'd be like, but honey, look, you're first. You're, you're the first one there. It's like, that doesn't really matter. I don't want to be the first. I want to be the one and only. See, this is what Jesus is talking about. I want to be your primary, not your primary pursuit. I want, you to, I want to be your only pursuit. I don't want to be your primary obsession. I want to be what makes your heart beat, what gets you up in the morning, what fires you up. Amen. I want your passion for me to be so great that it absolutely absolutely makes your other passions disappear, eclipses all other lights in your life. Listen to this saying right now. Jesus will not share your affection, and following him requires your whole heart. My time, my talent, my treasure, my passion, my heart, I've got to be all in. And I know we have preached and taught to you the benefits and the blessings of living for God. And that's part of the whole counsel, the word of God. But I want you to know that Jesus is looking for followers, people that can say, I'm all in. And Jesus, whatever you tell me to do, I'm going to do. Whatever you say, stay away from, I'm going to stay away from. Because my life is 100% committed to following Jesus Christ. Amen. Careful to use this next example because... You'll see why, but this is my wife. If you guys, most of you have met my wife. This is my wife, Tamara. We've been together for how many years now? <laughs> I'm just teasing. I knew 14. I always know it has to be more years than my daughter's age. That's what I, that's a good one to remember. Yeah. Now, Now here, just let's say you're out to a restaurant and you see me sitting at a table and across the table is a lovely young lady that is not my wife. And we're talking and laughing and having a good time together. And so you come up to me and you say, uh, what are you doing here and who's this? 
uh, well, this beautiful lady happens to be my date tonight. But it's okay. My wife understands that she's number one. And so you're kind of troubled by that, so you go to the house and you knock on the door. Uh, you know, I saw your husband out with a lovely young lady, and uh, he told me you're okay with it because you're number one in his life. What do you think about that? And then I get home. Guess what? going to be problems, right? It's not because my wife is petty or jealous, but it just displays the level of love that she has for me that she's not going to share me with another. And you need to understand that that's the way that Jesus Christ feels about you. He is a jealous God, jealous in his passion for you. And when we let hobbies or finances or relationships or anything in this world begin to even look like it's competing with our commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ, we have some problems and we're not truly a follower of Jesus Christ, but maybe we're in the category of just a fan of Jesus Christ. Jesus makes it clear, if you follow him, he's got to be your one and only You've got to be so committed to him that by comparison, you hate everyone else. Amen. Matthew 6, 24, Jesus said, no man can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Praise God. So what is a fan? A fan is someone who's happy to follow Jesus as long as it doesn't require any significant changes or have negative implications in their life. And I want to tell you, there's no way to truly follow Jesus without him interfering in your life. Following Jesus will cost you something. It always costs something. Most of us don't mind Jesus making some minor changes in our lives, but when Jesus came into our lives, he wants to turn it upside down. Amen. Not just do a little touch-up work, but he wants to do complete renovation of your life. Fans want Jesus to inspire them, but Jesus wants to interfere with their lives, right? Amen. Praise God. And many of us started out, and I'm, I'm drawing to a close here, Many of us start out, make a decision, and begin following Jesus. But we're living in this flesh. We're living in the world. And before we realize it, we become carnally minded. We lose that spiritual mindset that puts God first. And before we realize it, our flesh takes over. And our attitude becomes carnalized. Anybody had caramelized onions before? Caramelized onions. I'm talking about a carnalized attitude where we begin to think we're doing God a favor when we volunteer at the church a couple times a month. And so we start to ration out our time to God. When it's too early to get to church on Sunday morning. You know, I got here at 845 this morning and there were people getting all their baseball equipment out of their cars and going out there to worship their God on the baseball field. And sometimes we feel like it's too much to ask to come serve and be a part of the ministry. Amen. 
Amen. I wonder, would I do for my job what I wouldn't do for Jesus Christ? Or, or would I do for my hobby what I wouldn't do for Jesus Christ? Praise God. I'm talking about when something begins to consume us uh, and we recognize that I've been called of God. I've been anointed by Him. He's put His Spirit in me. He's put a calling on my life. Uh, and He's got something that He wants uh, to do through me. I wonder what would happen if Life Church uh, turned into a congregation of followers of Jesus Christ. If all of us decided I'm going to follow him with reckless abandon, he's going to be first and foremost in my life. My relationship with him is going to be the most important relationship in my life. You talk about changing Monrovia. You talk about changing the San Gabriel Valley. It doesn't take a multitude, but it takes a few who say, I'm willing to go to the cross. I'm willing to put my life on the line. I'm willing to follow Jesus with everything inside of me because anemic Christians won't change the world apostolic revival does not exist outside of fanaticism passion fire fire for the place of prayer fire for the house of God commitment to be faithful to the house of the Lord Amen. Commitment to do what God calls you to do. Amen. God help us, Lord. Hallelujah. I need a shaking of revival in my spirit. You need a shaking of revival in your spirit. Until you begin to hunger and thirst after righteousness. Until we hunger and thirst after the things of God. Until we're awakened to our desire of God. The last thing I want to share with you is a story. In the word of God in Luke chapter number 7. Luke chapter number 7, after Jesus had been teaching and preaching, he was invited by a Pharisee named Simon to his house. Come to my house for dinner. And so he invited the visiting rabbi, Jesus, to come to his house to dinner. Now let me just share a little bit of the custom during that time. If someone invited someone to dinner, there were certain things that were just expected, kind of like rituals of hospitality. And the first one was you would give them a kiss. If they were an equal to you, equal social rank, you would host would, would usually give the guest a kiss on the cheek. But if it was a person of especially high honor, the host would greet the guest with a kiss on the hand. So if you neglected to kiss your guest, it was the equivalent of ignoring them. Like them coming through the door and you don't even acknowledge that they're there. Another part of this first century Middle Eastern etiquette involved the washing of feet. And of course they wore sandals, it was dusty. And the washing of feet was mandatory before meals. If you truly wanted to honor a guest, then you would do it yourself. If not, you might have one of your servants wash the feet of your honored guest. At the very least, you would give them some water to wash their own feet. This was part of etiquette. And then the final thing that you would do would be to give them a little bit of olive oil to anoint their face and their head just to kind of freshen up. When Jesus arrived at this house, Simon did none of these. He offered him no kiss. He gave him no water to wash his feet, and there was no ointment for his head. 
And this man who had spent a lifetime studying the scriptures doesn't even realize that the Messiah is sitting in his own table at his own house with a hand that hasn't been kissed, with uh, feet that haven't been washed, and with a head that's not been anointed. Jesus is just sitting there. It was knowledge, but there was no intimacy. Knowledge without intimacy. The scene changes dramatically in this passage. Verse 37, when a woman comes uninvited into the area where they're eating. And the Bible says that this woman was a noted sinner. In fact, her occupation was she was a prostitute. So here's Jesus sitting in this house, house of a religious leader, a Pharisee. They're all gathered around, eating. Jesus is there with dirty feet, and this woman of ill reputation comes walking into the room. I can imagine it was kind of an awkward setting, an awkward moment right then. Maybe she had heard Jesus teaching earlier that day, and something that he had said had changed her heart. Whatever it was, there was a passion and obsession in her heart for the Lord. Maybe it was because he spoke words that promised her that she could be forgiven of all of her sins. Maybe it was that she could be redeemed from her life. And her life that was broken in pieces could be put back together again. Maybe it was the way he looked at her. Other men looked at her a certain way, but he looked at her like a father who was proud of his daughter and didn't just see her as a sinner. And something in her heart was triggered. She said, maybe it's not too late for me. Maybe someone like me could follow someone like him. So she made her way to the house of the Pharisee, Simon. She would never be invited to this event, not in a thousand years. She would have been looked at with condemning glares when she came into the room from the Pharisees. But instead of being intimidated by that, she went to where Jesus was. It was an awkward moment. Many were looking like, what is she doing? Why doesn't he ask her to leave? Doesn't she, he recognize who she is? But she went to where Jesus was. And Jesus looked down at her, and I can just imagine that he smiled at her. Everybody else was ashamed. It was an awkward moment, but Jesus smiled like a father would smile at his daughter that he was delighted in. Something had changed her so dramatically that she began to weep. She began to cry. And her tears began to splash onto the dusty, dirty feet of Jesus. And with her own tears, she began to wash the feet of Jesus. And then she let her hair down and began to dry off the feet of Jesus with her own hair. She had with her a little flask. It's called an alabaster box. This was something that many women wore around their neck as a perfume. And it was costly and it was precious. And they would use a little drop to put forth a fragrance. And based on this woman's occupation, we could be for sure that she would use a drop many, many times because of what she did. But at that moment, 
because of what had happened in her life, because of the transformation and change that took place. She didn't use just a drop, but she opened up the flask and poured all of it all out on Jesus. She poured her whole life on his feet while weeping and kissing his feet. I won't need this anymore, amen, because I found who it is that I've been looking for. I found the person that I'm going to follow the rest my life. And Jesus responded in Luke chapter 7, verse 44, as people were looking with condemnation on him. He said, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. Because in the end, the religious leader with all the knowledge is just a fan, but the prostitute who intimately expressed her love for Jesus is the true follower of Jesus Christ. And the question is, Who am I most like in this story? Who in this story represents where I am? I want to tell you that life gets our attention. We lose our focus without even meaning to. We become obsessed and passionate about many things. And I'm certainly not going to stand up here and say that all you should ever do is go to church and all you should ever do is pray. And all you should ever do is pursue spiritual things. I believe, you heard me for the last 10 weeks talk about the importance of the rhythm of life. But I feel like the Holy Ghost has commissioned me to talk to some people here and say, are you obsessed with Jesus? Is there hunger in your heart to pursue after him? Is there something in you that says, I want him to be first and foremost in my life and I want him to basically fill the room, amen. And I want to love him, and I want to praise him, and I want to pour out my affection and my expression of worship and expression of love on him. I want to pour out my life, amen, in worship and praise to him. Why don't we stand together right now? Thank you, Lord. The book of Revelation, we see the words of Jesus Christ speaking to the churches. One of the churches in Revelation chapter 3, the church in Ephesus. The Bible says that they had left their first love. That at one point, they were following him passionately. At one point, he was first in their life. At one point, they were passionately obsessed with Jesus Christ. But the scripture doesn't say what it was that got their attention, but somehow they had lost their focus. And life had become so important to them 
that they left their first love. And the Lord says, I want you to repent. And I want you to return. And I want you to go back to that first works passion. Or I will remove the candlestick. I'm going to put out your light, basically, and you're not going to be one of the examples. I want you to return to those first work passions. And I've pastored Life Church for 10 years. I've led this congregation for 10 years. And some of you I remember, we'd come to church for service three times a week. There would be prayer meeting on another night. We were serving and working all in. We've tried to be conscientious about the distance that people travel, people's time, give them time for family. But I pray that I haven't misled you into thinking that you can live for God just kind of as a side to your life. Well, who wouldn't want a little side of Jesus on their life? Jesus, just follow me as I do my thing. But when you fall in love with Jesus, just like this lady who washed his feet with her tears, there's got to be something inside of you that says, I found what I've been looking for my whole life. And those of us that have been raised around the things of God, been in church for a long time, we've got to be awakened. And that's what this sermon, that's why this sermon is just a little bit uncomfortable. Because it's about awakening. It's about realizing our need to put Jesus Christ on the throne of our life. He's not okay with being in the sidecar. He's got to be on the throne. And Jesus, I want you on the throne of my life. If there's anybody in this place today, that as the Bible says you've counted the cost, you looked and you said, you know what? I hear what you're saying, Pastor. I hear what the Word of God says, and I know that it's not about a bed of roses. It's not about just happiness all the time. It's not about just one blessing after another. It's about sacrifice. It's about sweat. It's about commitment. It's about putting my life in this thing. But when I look at all that, I'm still saying, you know what? Jesus, I still want to follow you. I don't want to just be in the cheering session, section and saying, yeah. But I want to follow you. I want to give my life completely 100% to following, pursuing after you. I wonder if there's anybody in this house right now that says, Pastor, I'm not just coming forward. I'm not just coming forward because that's what other people are doing. But I'm taking a step that says right now, Lord, I want to make sure that you're first in my life. I want to examine my priorities, and I want to examine my passions and pursuits, and I want it to be known. I want to take a step of faith and say, Jesus, I want to follow you all the days of my life. No matter what other people think of me, no matter what happens, I want you to be first in my life. If that's you, I want you to just step out of where you are right now, and I want you to join me here at the front right now.
Worship is expressing your love to God. We're going to do that right now. And I want you to think about the young lady whose life had been changed that day and came into the presence of Jesus and just poured out her love on Him. And just let it pour out on Him. And no wonder right now, maybe it's been a while since you have had that opportunity to really worship and love the Lord like that. But right now, for just a moment, I want us to lift up our hands and I want us to express our love to Jesus. Some of us might need to repent because that's what the Bible says that He asked the church to do. Lord, I haven't had you first in my life and I've let other things come in and crowd you out. Jesus, I pray that you would forgive me, Lord God. Forgive me, Lord Jesus, for not being exclusive with you, Lord God, and letting other things distract me. Jesus, I want you to be first in my life, Lord God. I want you to be the Lord of my life. I want you to be on the throne of my life because I love you with everything inside of me. And I'm surrendering my life to you, Lord God. I'm giving you everything, Jesus, from this day forward, Lord God. I want to pursue after you. I want your anointing to be on my life, Lord God. I want to be empowered by your Holy Spirit, Jesus. Uh, I don't want to live according to the power of the flesh, uh, but I want to live according to the power of the Holy Spirit. That's it. Lift up your hands right now to him and let the Holy Spirit move upon you. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah, Jesus. Oh, God, I praise you, Lord. Jesus, I worship and adore you, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Jesus, I want to follow you, Lord. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your mercy, Lord God. Thank you for your grace, Jesus. Hallelujah, Lord. I give up my praise and worship to you, King of kings and Lord of lords. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Who am I? God of all the earth would care to know my name would care to feel my hurt who am I the bright and morning star would choose to light the way of my ever wandering heart not because of what I've done but because of what you are, not because of what I am, but because of who you are. I am a flower quickly fading, here today and gone tomorrow. A wave tossed in the ocean, a vapor in the wind. Still you hear me when I'm calling. Lord, you catch me when I'm falling, and you showed me who I am. I am yours. Who I am yours. Who am I? The God of all the earth. Care to know. Here to feel my hurt. Who am I? The voice to calm the sea. Call out through the rain and calm the storm in me. Not because of who I am, but because of what you. 
pray a prayer of commitment and I want you to pray your own Jesus I'm in your presence right now Lord and I love you I exalt you as the king of kings and the Lord of lords you're everything to me Jesus and I'm asking Lord God right now that you would forgive me Jesus for allowing my other interests passions begin to compete with you and I want to make a statement before you right now Jesus you mean everything to me Lord you're all the world to me you're my breath you're my strength you saved me you've been merciful to me you never gave up on me everybody else did but you never gave up on me Lord and I want to say thank you Jesus and God, I want to make a statement right now in your presence. Lord, maybe I've been abandoning the place of prayer. Haven't been spending time in your word. Been busy, preoccupied. And I know you, that's not an option for me. You haven't made that an option. But Jesus, I love you today, Lord God. And I want you to be on the throne of my life. And I make a declaration, Lord Jesus, right now that I'm going to follow you. I pray that you would consume me with your spirit, Lord. I pray that the Holy Spirit would burn out the carnality in my spirit. The bad attitudes, Jesus. Bad spirit, Lord God, that I allow to get a hold of me from time to time. And let your anointing destroy every yoke of the enemy. In the name of Jesus, 
I rebuke every evil spirit that's tried to influence my thinking. And I pray in the name of the Lord God that you would be on the throne of my life. You'd be first and foremost, Jesus. And I'm going to follow you, Lord God. I'm going to be led of your spirit, Jesus. Your anointing is going to flow through me, Lord God. And my life's going to make a difference, Jesus, because it's going to be consumed by you. I pray this in the name of Jesus. God, put the fire in me again, Lord God. Light, Lord Jesus, and ignite in me a passion for you, Lord. Let it be renewed, Lord God, and restored. Let it burn brilliantly, I pray, Jesus. Hallelujah. Just raise your hands and let the Holy Spirit flow right now. Hallelujah. 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 Jesus, you're everything to me. Jesus, you're everything. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. that you just prayed was more than just words but if it was what you truly feel in your spirit and a commitment that you're making before God what you've done is you've laid your life on the altar and said Lord my life is yours a living sacrifice and I want to tell you that when you have a house full of people that have made a living sacrifice the fire is going to fall from heaven and God's spirit is going to consume and good things are going to happen. Recommitment. Recommitment is the first step to revival. It's not about having somebody come in and see a bunch of people get the Holy Ghost. It's about when the church lay their life on the altar again. Amen. And that's what we've done today. Let's rejoice in the Lord right now because we know good things are going to happen. Good things are going to happen. Amen. I look forward to seeing you Tuesday night. Tuesday evening at 7.30 here at the church and uh, right behind in the, uh, the uh, um, programming center. God bless you. Next week's Mother's Day. Brother Robinette's going to be with us. Leave rejoicing in the Lord.